If you would, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. Uh, we've been kind of going through these chapters as I picked up from where Pastor Eric left off. And we've seen uh, this, this judgment of a kind of a, a run through in, in chapter 6. And then last week we saw this, this pause. Remember, in the middle of Revelation, we see these, this salvation comes and, and God's saving his people. And now we come back into the, the doom uh, of the end times. It's the judgments, uh, the trumpet judgments that we're going to be looking at tonight. I've, I've titled this message, The Trumpets of, of Doom. Now, you, when you hear the, the phrase, the end of the world, what do you think of? The end of the world. It's kind of a scary phrase, isn't it? Um, the end of the world is on the minds of our society today, isn't it? I mean, literally, it's on our minds. And we like to watch and try to figure out what that would look like as we see the, the movie industry making movies about the end of the world and, and the desolation of what's to come and all these things that we see the, the movie industry doing. It's a huge moneymaker as they begin to uh, allow the, the world to see what that might look like, especially with the special effects that we have today. We have more movies that have been made about the end of the world in the last 20 years than all the years that movies were made. It's crazy. There have been over 160 documented uh, predictions of the end of the world since Jesus' time. A couple that you might know that were just recent, recent is uh, 88 Reasons in 88. I don't know if you were here when, when, uh, when that came out. There's a book in 1988, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 88. Well, that came and went, right? Uh, Harold Camping predicted that the rapture would come September 6, 1994. Well, that came and went. And then we had Y2K. Remember that? We were all like, what's going to happen? You know, are the computers going to freak out? Is the world going to end? And all this stuff. And the church really believed. You know, a lot of us were going, okay, Lord, you can come back. That might be it. But that came and that went. A guy just a year ago predicted that the rapture was coming, that the end of the world was coming, and that the, that the, the tribulation would, be, would start on April, 30th of, uh, April 20th of last month. It's interesting, yet we're still here. Polls conducted in 2012 across 20 countries found that over 15% of people believed that the world will end in their lifetime. R.E.M., this band from the 90s, uh, wrote a song about this. The chorus is, the end of the world as you know it. And then it's, and I feel fine. <laughs> well, when the end of the world comes, as we study tonight, no one will be feeling fine. It will be nothing like we've ever seen, and we will see a lot of that tonight. Look with me in uh, verse 1 of chapter 8 tonight. This is what we will be seeing tonight as we go through this chapter. First, we'll see the hush in heaven, we'll see the prayers of the saints, we'll see the desolation of the land, we'll see the desolation of the sea, we'll see the desolation of the fresh water, and then we'll lastly see the desolation of the heavens. And so let's begin as we look at verse 1, and we'll be going through, uh, just reading down to verse 6. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stood before God. To them were given seven trumpets. Then uh, another angel, having a golden censer, 
came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to earth. And there was noises and thunderings and lightnings in an earthquake. So the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Verse 1 is in stark contrast to what we've already read in this book so far. There's been all kinds of noise in heaven up until this point. You know, God loves noise. Did you know that? He loves a cheerful noise. The Bible says, yeah, we hear everyone during worship giving up that cheerful noise, that worship to, to the Lord. As Eric went over chapters 4 and chapters 5 in Revelation, those chapters were filled with heavenly worship, singing, a joyful noise. There were four living creatures. There were 24 elders, and there's all these tons of angels all around the throne of God praising God, remember? In chapter 6, there were angels saying things like, come and see. Come see, there were saints under the altar, the persecuted ones that were saying, how long, O Lord, will we have to wait? There are tribulation saints who are standing and worshiping in chapter 7. As we saw last week, there's a lot of activity. All, uh, all of a sudden, then we come to this verse, this moment of silence in heaven. Silence in heaven for a half an hour. Now, 30 minutes doesn't seem like a long time, does it? But as far as a dramatic pause in a drama or a movie, that would make a statement. I mean, try it sometime when you're with some friends. So you're having this conversation with your friends and you're, you're hanging out and to make a dramatic dramatic moment in, in your conversation, you just, for 30 minutes, you would get their attention. Trust me. They would think you're a little weird. But then imagine all of heaven being silent for a half an hour. That would be some thick kind of silence, wouldn't it? Henry uh, Nguyen said this about silence. He said, in this chatty society, silence has become a fearful thing. For most silence creates itchiness and nervousness. Many experience silence not as, a full in, as full and rich, but empty and hollow. For some, silence is like a, 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 a gasping uh, abyss, which can swallow them up. Silence. But this silence in verse 1 is the calm before the storm. The storm of God's judgment. It's round 2. There's only three rounds in this fight. The first round we've seen so far, it's the seals that have been broken open on the scroll. Well, the seventh seal has just been opened, and now it's opening up, and it's ushering in seven trumpets, the second round that's coming, and there's a hush before the judgment comes. The prophets of old have spoken about uh, these occasion, this occasion. Zephaniah chapter 1 tells us, be still in the presence of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Zechariah chapter 2 tells us, Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. This seventh seal, as it's opened in verse 1, God is, bringing, is being roused from his dwelling. He's starting to come to life. The, the scroll is uh, 
unraveled, so to speak. That last seal's broken and the scroll in heaven is, is rolled open for all of heaven to see. And a hush comes over heaven. It's very interesting. Maybe it's because of what they saw on the scroll as they began to see what was to come. The response is utter silence. All of the exaltation in heaven stops. All of the hallelujahs cease. And the music is put on pause for just a moment as silence comes over heaven. No one says a word. It's a, it's a silence of awe and expectation of what's to come as we wait for the seven angels to blow the trumpets. For the saints, for us, it's a joyous silence. This means that the, sa- the saints will be vindicated, that Satan will be destroyed, sin will be done away with, Jesus Christ will reign and rule forever. So as the silence permeates heaven, as it's thick, as it's quiet, God gives these angels these trumpets. Look at verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them they were given seven trumpets. Now this is like a silent movie, okay? A 30-minute silent movie as God turns to these angels and he gives them a trumpet one after another. As it's, as it's quiet in heaven, no one says anything, no noise, there's nothing around, but silently seven angels are given these trumpets. Now these seven angels were selected. Some call them the presence angels as they stand with, Je- with Jesus at the throne in his presence. What's interesting, I don't know if, if angels interest you, but I, I find angels fascinating. I wish I could see them. There's probably some in here right now. Angels fascinate me, and if you ever take time to study them, there's some things that you can learn about them. First, they're different kinds of angels. They're not all the same. They're, they're different. Some, have, have, some look different. Some have different roles. Um, there's seraphim and cherubim and and archangels, and fallen angels, and angels that have names. Interesting. Another fact about angels, angels are given specific roles or jobs to do that God gives to them specifically. Angels are masculine in form. They're not feminine. They're not like the the little cherubim and the shoot you with an arrow. I got you, you know, kind of, kind of. Oh, nice little angel. No, these are these are these are mighty angels, strong warriors. Yeah, I like that. It's good. And these are the angels that God gives these trumpets to. Now, if you're a trumpet player tonight. Um, you'll appreciate this section of scripture because it's all about you, the trumpet player. Now, um, now the tone that we hear, the tune that comes from heaven is in the minor key. It's not in the major key, it's in the minor key. It is a drone of, of trumpet sound. Now, trumpet players get the, a bad rap. If you're a trumpet player, you know what I mean. Because they always are stealing the show. They always uh, are, are, are causing the attention to come onto them. And they don't mean it. It's just their instrument is loud. And it's saying, look at me. And they have a hard time blending in with all the other music in the midst of it. But trumpet players, if you're out there, you'll appreciate tonight. Now John, who see, is seeing this vision... He's seeing this vision and he's writing down Revelation. Is a Jew, right? He he's, he understands Jewish uh, uh, the things, uh, the history uh, of the Jews and, and Israel's history. Well, the the trumpet I found out this week was the most significant of all of the musical instruments of Israel. 
It's used more in the Bible than any other instrument. In Numbers chapter 10, it was used to call the people together because back then they didn't have a radio or a PA system or anything like that. They would just, you know, and and everybody would come. I don't know if it was that tune or not, but something like that. They would sound the trumpet in in a certain sound and it would signal the people to come. Kind of like that dinner bell at camp, you know, when they're ding, 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 ding. And there's everybody, okay, the food's coming. All right, gather in, right? Same kind of idea. Another blast of the trumpet in, in, in Israel's history was the sound of war. They would sound the trumpet to begin war, to declare war, to start war. Another sound of the trumpet could mean a special celebration, This is the beginning of the feast that is coming in. Remember what happened at Mount Sinai when the law was given. A trumpet was sounded. At Jericho, when they were marching around Jericho and attacked and then leveled the city, the trumpets were sounded. In Revelation chapter 1, John was already, uh, already heard the voice of Jesus as it sounded like a trumpet. Remember in, verse, in chapter 1? The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Well, in these verses, John hears seven trumpets, and these seven trumpets are ominous. They're they're a bit strange because they bring in the the judgment of God. Some have even uh, suggested that these two verses that that speak of the silence uh, in heaven and these trumpets is God's final half an hour of grace. You know, God is all about his grace. It's his final opportunity for mankind to repent. Oh, come to me. Come and repent and come and know me today. You see, God is is never in a hurry to judge. Please do not picture God standing before Uh, before up in heaven, standing up there with his hands clenched going, I'm going to get you. Because that is not his desire. He's not anxious to to judge. No, he is long-suffering. And it's just like that word sounds, long-suffering. He suffers long for his people to come to know him, his creation. Ezekiel 33.11 says this, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from their way and live. Turn and turn from your wicked ways. God has waited for thousands of years, issuing warning after warning to a world that has rejected his son. And now he responds in verse 3. The prayers of God's people are answered. Look at verse 3. And another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the from the angel's hand. Now remember back to the, to the tabernacle. I don't know if you've, you've studied the tabernacle at all, but I'll give you, try to give you a picture of it if you don't know about the tabernacle. The tabernacle is pictured right here in heaven. This is a model of what we're reading right now, the, the tabernacle. There were two altars, remember? In the outer courts of the, the tabernacle was a brass altar. It's where the animals were killed and they were sacrificed and burned. Then there was a golden altar, much smaller than the the brass altar, in the holy place. 
inside the tabernacle in front of the veil of the Holy of Holies. So it sat outside uh, of the Holy of Holies, but it was inside right in front of the veil. It was the altar of incense. The priest would take a coal from the altar of sacrifice, the, the brass altar, and he would take it and he would put it in the incense burner. He would put it in the censer. That's what a censer is. When you read that word, it's, it's a censer. It's the kind of idea when you see this, this uh, the, uh, religion, different religions, they will put this incense in something and then they will shake it like this and they'll hold it by its chain or a rope and, and, and there's smoke coming out of it, right? Out of the censer. Okay, that's the idea of what's happening here. So when you see one of those things, that's biblical, Okay, we don't do them to do that today here in the church, but it's it's here in Scripture. So the priest would take hot coals from from that brass altar, put it in there. Then they would he would carry it inside into the holy place, and he would take it and then he would set it upon the altar of incense. Then he would take incense and he would pour it onto the coals, which would cause smoke and, and fume from, from the coal hitting the incense, and it would cause aroma to go up. And then he would take that and he would take it then into the holy of holies as the fragrance would go up into the idea of the nostrils of God, a sweet-smelling aroma. David spoke of this, King David, let my prayer come before you as the offering of sweetness of incense. Notice it says that they, they are the prayers of all the saints in those verses. It, keeps, it says it twice, of all the saints. So who are the saints? It's us. It's me and you. It's, it's, it's God's people. It's the children of God. So you can introduce yourself to, to people as Saint, you know, whatever your name is. You know, Saint John. Hi, I'm Saint John. Nice to meet you. It's kind of a weird saying, that, you know, thinking that you're a saint because we think of these saints. But this is talking about the saints, us. So the saints of all the prayers of all the saints, all the prayers of, of his children, past and present, are wrapped up and are symbolized here in this action. God is answering the prayers of his children. There's no, uh, there's no prayer uttered by a child of God that is not kept by God. That's not remembered by God or not answered by God, they're all remembered and they're all precious to the Lord. And this is a picture of how God cares for all of the prayers of the saints. Now God may not answer your prayers the way you want them answered. He answers his prayers oftentimes with a no or a maybe or not yet. Or yes, I would love to do that. And I would love to answer it exceedingly abundantly above all that you would think. But here he hears the prayers and he keeps them close to him and he answers them. And he uses them in this section and we'll see what happens. So what are these prayers of the saints specifically and how does God answer them? Look at verse 5 and 6. We get a hint of this. Then the angel took the censer, filled it in with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now again, this is, there's nothing, there's no, there's silence still in heaven. They're about to sound the trumpets, but nothing has happened yet except for him hurling this down on earth. So the angels took this censer. He filled it with fire with this, with, uh, from the altar. And then the incense was in there. It was embedded in the coals and, and it was mixed together. And then it was taken, it was added with fire and it was thrown down to earth. 
You see, on the Day of Atonement, it was the high priest who took the coal, and he would take that coal, and he would put it in the censer, and he would walk from the holy place, and he would take, put the coal on the altar into the holy place, and he would, he would mix it with the incense. Then he would have blood in one hand, and he would have the censer in the other hand as he went into the holy of holies. He would then present both the blood and the incense before the Lord so that God would atone for the sins of the people. Sin was dealt with in the Holy of Holies. And this is a picture of God dealing with sin once and for all. As he takes the the, the censer and he hurls it down to earth to bring judgment upon sin in this earth. As we see thunderings and lightnings and and earthquakes. In other words, this judgment on the earth is a direct response to the prayers of God's people. I think this is why there's a silence in heaven. As the scroll is opened up, all of heaven sees what's what's about to come. God's gonna judge the earth. And they're like... (gasps) going to vindicate the saints and eradicate sin and wipe Satan out and and exalt Jesus Christ. So there's this silence and, and it's a response to the prayers of his people. Your prayers, my prayers, all the prayers, every prayer. So you, if you're thinking that prayer doesn't have power, think again. Your prayers are powerful Think about these verses. This is, this is God's power coming to play. What did we read in Revelation chapter 6? Remember the saints were uh, being, uh, the, the saints uh, that had been, had been, their lives had been taken during the, ra- during, during the tribulation. They were there under the altar, right? And, and they were saying, how long, O Lord? until you vindicate us. How long? And now God answers that here in, in, these, in these verses. Have you ever hit your finger with a hammer, a th- your thumb with a hammer? Mm. It is something else. I hope if you've never done that, I hope you don't. But if you have and if you've done it and you've given yourself a good whack, There is nothing like that feeling. Let me ask you, where does it hurt when that happens? Everywhere. (laughs) It shoots up your nerves all through your body and then it explodes in your head, doesn't it? You just, you just, everything inside you just kind of like goes crazy for just a moment. It's the worst kind of pain. When you hurt one of the members of the body of Christ, the head of the church, Jesus Christ, is affected. And one day, though he is patient in long-suffering, he will intervene once and for all, as he always does, because he loves us, because he's a loving God, that loves his children. Let's see how he does it. Look, now beginning in verse seven, we're going to look at four of the seven trumpet judgments tonight. These first four are catastrophic uh, events, natural catastrophic events. Then the next two are supernatural. We won't see those tonight. We're only going to look at the natural ones tonight uh, to the end of this chapter. Natural meaning it deals with nature. It deals with the land of earth. It deals with the sea, bodies of water. It deals with the sun, the moon, and the stars. The fifth and sixth are more profound, and they deal with supernatural things as demon forces begin to become unleashed upon the earth. 
And we'll get into that next week. Now, before we get into these judgments, I want to say that as we read them, I want you to understand that when we read the Bible, it's important that we take it literally. If God's word tells us something, we should trust that what it says, and what it says is what it says. It's not figuratively, it's not these, well, is this, he must be saying something about something else. No, if he says that he turned the water into blood, he turned the water into blood. It wasn't an idea of something else or something that is read, you know, he, he, he's He's literal in what he says, unless he says it is like something. And those things then we can look into. So as we, as, as we begin these, this next section, I want you to understand, let's read it literally. Verse 7, the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. Now, some say that this is uh, acid rain in the form of blood. I don't know what it is. All I know is it's not good. Fire falling from the sky, hail. You think hail's bad in Colorado. <laughs> it's going to get much worse than, than the hail here. Joel the prophet promised this in Joel chapter 2, verse 30. It says, looking at the tribulation to come, he says, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Question, how did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? With fire from the sky. How, what, what about the plagues in Egypt? Didn't we see hail come down from, from the sky as well, falling from the sky? Church, we don't know exactly what this is, but it's similar to those things. All I know is it's not going to be good, and it's not clear on to what it looks like specifically. But there is some stuff going on. And it might be involved with what's happened in verse 5, where there's thunderings and lightnings and, and a huge earthquake. This could be a severe shaking of the earth in such a way that the, the, the chain, it's a chain reaction causing volcanic eruptions inside the earth's atmosphere and causing a worldwide scale of different kinds of volcanic uh, eruptions spewing uh, lava out of the earth. But I don't know. Now notice what it's targeting. It's targeting Vegetation. What happens when we don't have vegetation? We don't do very good, do we? It says that a third of the trees are gone. The grass, it says all the grass, I don't know how that works, other than some sort of uh, substance uh, um, has killed the grass uh, from the sky. It's it could be an acid rain of some sort uh, or something like that. But it is killed the grass. Now, some of you are saying, well, you, you landscaped with rocks. Well, it's going to be a lot, more, a lot worse than just your yard. <laughs> this is on a wide, worldwide scale. Imagine what this will do to the balance of nature. It will not be a good thing. A third of the tree is gone. That's, that's fruit trees. That's producing trees. It's grass, vegetation. The, the tree lover, the tree huggers are going to be really upset. <laughs> They're not going to be very happy with, with life at that point. There will be a devastation of pasture lands. That will affect then our livestock. A devastation of farmlands that will devastate our food supply. Food costs will skyrocket because there will be a shortage of it and everything will become very difficult. Economy will change overnight. Now, with all that in picture, I want you to turn over to 
Romans chapter one with me for a second. Romans chapter one. Look at verse 18 of Romans chapter one. I, I turn here because some of you might be thinking, gosh, this, this judgment just seems just heavy. And I kind of think it's suitable because God has is, is given us a, a many warnings and he's shown himself to all, all men. And we're gonna read about it in, right here. It says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous, unrighteous of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are not, so they that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him, glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and were and, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. In birds and four-legged animals and creeping things, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship the and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen this is a picture of our world and god says you want to worship the creature rather than the creator then one day you will you will you will then be judged because of it but don't tell me that i never told you don't tell me that you're without excuse because you're without excuse. Because he has shown himself to all men. Now there's a lot of people out there today that love Mother Nature and Mother Earth and the trees and the birds and they worship them and the whales. Don't get me started on the whales. I like whales. They're cool. The sea, the stars, yet God will judge their gods, little g. He will judge them. Listen, if you think we've trashed the planet, wait until God's finished with the planet. (laughs) But it's his, and he created it. It's his to do what he wants. That it's his for him to do what he pleases with. Look at verse eight. The second trumpet is sounded. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now it doesn't say an actual mountain fell into the water but something like a mountain. So it seems as as though an asteroid or a piece of a star came through the atmosphere is from what I can understand. As it goes through the atmosphere, it becomes combustible and, and then starts coming to the earth as this fireball. Now, I would imagine that the earth would probably be seeing this. They probably know that it's going to come prior to it coming because we have all the sophistication and equipment of, and satellites and all the things out there saying, this thing's coming. And I can imagine the world going, this, this thing's going to hit earth. And, uh, and it comes in and they're not sure where it's going to land and it hits the sea. And as it hits the sea... It kills a third of what lives in the sea. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around the sea when there's a lot of dead carcasses in the sea. 
not a pretty picture. If a third of the creatures in the sea are dead, it's not going to be a great place to go in vacation to. It says that this mountain, this, this, this mountain-like thing hits the, hits the sea. A third of the sea will be turned to blood. A third of the sea is affected. Uh, the, the ships uh, are affected. According to the U.S. Co- uh, Department of Commerce, there's approximately 33,000 uh, 33, merchant ships on the sea today. And 11,000 of those will be destroyed. Gone. I'm sure the sea, the, the sea will not be like anything that we've ever seen before. A third of it will be turned to blood. I don't know what that comes from. I don't know why. But it's turned to blood and things are not good. The save the whale people are going to freak out. In Hosea chapter 4 verse 3, we read this. Therefore the land will mourn and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 3 says, I will sweep away both men and, and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Now with this next trumpet judgment moves inland on this third trumpet judgment. Look at verse verse 10. Then the angel, the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch and it fell on uh, on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood a third of the waters became wormwood and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So the first, the, the first trumpet judgment was hail and fire and blood. Second trun- trumpet judgment was the massive, this massive rock that falls from the sky and hits the water. And this third one is a flaming star that is falling. Falling into, comes into our atmosphere and I, I believe dissipates. But when it comes in and it dissipates, it, it breaks up in such a way that causes uh, devastation to all of our fresh water. As it says here, it says that a third, again, a third of the rivers in, the, in our springs of water are affected. And its name is Wormwood. Now, the name, the word Wormwood means bitter. There's actually a plant called Wormwood today. It is a bitter plant. Uh, People uh, can extract a, a, a dark green oil from this plant, and they make a liqueur from it uh, uh, in parts of the 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 world. But this is definitely a bitter plant, and it literally means bitter. And we believe that, that it's going to be a, an effect of bitterness that will come across all of the water. Now, when water is taken away from us, it's hard, isn't it? Think about water being shut off in your home. You don't have a way to go to the bathroom. You don't have uh, drinking water. There's no showers. It, it, you may be able to, uh, to bathe in this water, but it says that men were dying because of its bitterness affecting them. So we don't know how, how much of effect it will bring, but it's not good. The bitterness falls on a third of the world's fresh water. It's so bad that people begin to die because of it. Now in verse 12, judgment comes to the heavens. This is the, this is the strangest one. 
And I think the, the worst one of all so far, and this is in verse 12. And then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the, of the sun was struck. A third of the moon and the third of the stars, so that the third of them were darkened. A third of the days did not shine, likewise the night. Now again, we don't know what this is, but there's speculation that this is a description of nuclear, a nuclear winter because of how it's affecting the, the sun and the moon and all that's going on. But whatever it is, it's not going to be good because if light, if, if the sun is darkened, then that means our warmth goes away. And if the moon is darkened and the stars are darkened, the, uh, what, how our universe works is not going to be working the same. And things will be cold. And things will be dark. And everything will be dim. It will not be like anything we've ever seen before. All I know is that it affects the sun, the moon, and the stars in, in a great way. Our climate will change completely and rapidly. Not only will light be taken away from the earth, but the heat of the earth will be taken as well. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 21, looking forward to this time of tribulation. These are Jesus' words in Luke 21, verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, and the sea of the way in the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear uh, and the expectation of those things which are coming upon the earth from the powers of the heavens will be, and for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with, the power and great, with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your, redemp- your redemption draws near. This is our hope. When these things start to come, we just need to look up. We need to begin to look up. And I don't know how soon Jesus is coming back. I don't know when the rapture is coming for his people. I know this, it's coming. And the signs are showing us that it's coming soon. So look up. Be watching and be waiting. It's amazing. These are Jesus' words 2,000 years ago, yet he hit it right on, uh, on the nose on, on all the different things that are happening in Revelation. Let's end with this last verse in verse 13. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the remaining blasts of the trumpet of these angels who are about to sound. These woes do not refer to what's happened before. He is referring to what's coming ahead, these three last trumpet judgments. And we will see those next week as we get into that. But let me say this, it is going to be bad. as if it were something that we would never have, would never understand. We might be able to say something like, we haven't seen anything yet from what's to come. These three woes are coming, and we're gonna see those next week. As we close tonight, would you stand with me? As we prepare for communion together, I want you to consider something as we close. At the beginning of this chapter, we saw silence. And so I want to consider silence for a moment.
as we consider the Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, heaven and earth, the Lamb that was slain, our Redeemer, our Deliverer, our Counselor, the one that will vindicate sin, vindicate his saints and eradicate sin, our Abba Father, our Daddy. Lord, we stand in awe of you. We stand in silence for a moment, just taking in your presence, Lord. We come to you tonight in reverence. We don't take it lightly as we come to the altar of communion. We take it seriously, Lord. Lord, we thank you that the prayers of your people are heard throughout the world. And that one day you will be your pro a promise keeper for all of those prayers and that you will take care of everything. That you will make everything right. That you hear our prayers and you're listening. And you're with us. We thank you for being our, our God, our daddy, that we can come to you. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for finding us in the midst of being lost, Lord. You're so good. And thank you for dealing with sin sending your son, saving us, that we can stand before you free. Free from sin, Lord. Free from bondage of sin, Lord. We can, we can stand before you, Lord, and, and, and just feel the presence of God in relationship with the true and living God through your grace. Oh, you're so good to us. Lord, we don't deserve it. Your word tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, Lord, we deserve death. But you gave us life through Jesus Christ, and we thank you for that tonight. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Lord, may we experience a time refreshing tonight as we enter into communion together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.